Pancakes. Yo, what's good with it, dude? <laughs> You're here. I'm sitting here trying to okay. figure this out, but where's the camera? You know how to bring it? You know how to work Zoom? Last time I used this, I was a little, uh, I was slightly inebriated. So you can't, can you see me okay? I can't see you, actually. I can only hear you. Oh, I'm trying. I can to... see you. Can you? All right. Yeah, it says on your, hold on, let me see, because now. Hold on a sec. Let's see if I can do this too. Oh, yeah, I see you now. Yo, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, here yeah. we go. Uh, with the sunglasses on and everything. <laughs> you already know episode two. This could be technically sponsored by Mike's Hot Honey, live from right here. wherever you are in Massachusetts. I'm in my childhood bedroom. Okay. Nice. Yep, here we are. You're back home with the parents right now. Um, that's exciting. So you had to escape yeah. the Minnesota city, I guess. You know what I mean? Because I heard it was getting wild. Obviously, I know what the news was saying, but uh, we have we have a lot of the same network, and uh, I don't know. It's crazy, but as crazy as it got, it's already opening back up. That's what I'm starting to hear. It's going to start easing off, uh, easing off, or no? Mm, I think it's going to be a little while. Um, I I don't get the sense that um, things are going to really reopen within the next month or even month and a half. I, I think, I think it's unlikely that you'll see, see much of a difference between now and, and, and like a, a month from now. Yeah. We are in a, uh, we are in very strange times. I would say, um, something that both directly affects us. Obviously you stuck over in Massachusetts now had to leave uh, the nest and basically where where everyone you know is that's where mike's hot honey began but i don't want to talk too much about that i want to let you talk about and we can bust right into it because i actually just got the trial i don't have the trial so we got free we have free time to talk as long as you want to but, oh kill it um i need i need all the information about you man um me as a fanboy i already know because you're really easy to google so it's easy to look up a lot about you um as i have in the past but i need everything i need from that childhood bedroom to apprentice to maybe even before that i don't know if music came before that but some music i need the poly g situation with the apprenticeship in the beginning of what we know now is that beautiful uh what would you call that maroon color what color is mike's hot honey jacket that you're wearing that i've been trying yeah burgundy little burgundy i need to yep. know how that went wild all over everywhere on everyone's pizza on everyone's fried chicken their ice cream their cereal how mike's hot honey ended up where it was from that bedroom to today yeah well first of all since since you're a philadelphia area person uh i'm gonna connect it all back to philly because that's that's where my dad's family is from uh, my dad Grew up in Philadelphia, um, North Six and Poplar, Northern Liberties. My grandparents were singers at the Latin Casino in Philadelphia, which was in Center City, Philly, and then later moved out to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And um, so, like, my dad is a sax player. His brother is a drummer. Their parents were singers. So that's, that whole side of the family is they're, they're all musicians. So, uh, yeah, that, that is, that is kind of like the, 
the family business actually the the music business if we had so to, you had parents and grandparents music that's where that's so yeah, this my, is where this is going to tie into no way okay yeah yeah my my grandfather met my grandmother singing in a show actually in atlantic city they would sing in in, in the summers they'd go to atlantic city and perform at the 500 club which was a, a, a popular nightclub in atlantic city and uh, they were singing in the same show there my grandfather was the MC there um so he would introduce the the artists and uh tell a couple jokes maybe sing a tune and then and then bring on the the the, the main act. the main act but a lot of people came through there sinatra sammy davis jr uh like all the rat pack guys the supremes the temptations a lot of the motown acts um so yeah the 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 500 club in the summer and the latin casino the rest of the year that's that's where um my dad's parents worked and then um he you know carried on the musical tradition he um plays tenor saxophone mostly plays a lot of jazz bossa nova a lot of different styles of music and um growing up i played the trumpet piano um and i guess that to, to tie it to the honey um there are two things that are that are part of my childhood which kind of like eventually led me into the honey business one is pizza is a, a good friend of mine who I actually just spoke to the other day who I grew up with here in Massachusetts. His family owned uh, uh, a few Italian restaurants in the area. His uncle owned Antonio's Pizza, which is a, a well-known pizzeria out here in Amherst. And um, New Yorkers might know Vinny's Pizza, which is a uh, a place that sort of came out of the Antonio's family tree. They have a location in Williamsburg right on Bedford Ave. But um, uh, yeah, my friend Marco, his family owned Antonio's Pizza. His father owned Pinocchio's Pizza um, and Geppetto's. And um, so I grew up around, around their pizza, always loved pizza. Um, so that was like one thing that, that I just always had was like this, this love of pizza. Then the other thing that led into the honey business was, um, this connection to Brazil, which is actually where the inspiration for my product comes from. This is so, what I think everyone's going to find to be mind blowing. Go on. Yeah, you. this is, this is like, bear with me here. So, uh, this is going back to, um, 19, I think it was 1964. My father was being drafted to go to the Vietnam War. He was opposed to the war and he found out that he could fulfill his civil service if he joined the Peace Corps. So he joined the Peace Corps and um, was randomly chosen to go to Brazil. And 1964 was the start of the military dictatorship in Brazil that lasted for 20 years. So he was there for the very beginning of that and um, came back to the States and uh, years later was leading a group of, of students on a trip to Brazil. He was a grad student uh, studying Portuguese and my mother was an undergrad student on the trip and they actually met in Brazil. So uh, my dad's from Philly, my mom's from DC, but they met in Brazil 
And uh, I grew up listening to a lot of Brazilian music, hearing the language. Um, and then eventually, um, when I was in college, I went to UMass, which is where I grew up here in Amherst. And I decided I was going to study abroad in Brazil. And I chose to study abroad program that was in Salvador in Northeastern Brazil and um, was studying the the history of rap music in Brazil. That's actually what I wrote my senior thesis on was the development really? of hip hop, Brazilian oh, hip hop no music. Way. Okay. Yeah. We can get into that too. Everything. But, um, the floor is yours, dude. I just want my people to hear all that they have to hear about you. So go on. Yeah. So we, um, studying abroad there and, uh, on a weekend, I took a trip to a national park with some friends we were, we were doing this, this, is basically like a four day camping trip where it took a long weekend and we hiked for three or four days on this trail, uh, camped along the way. And then at the end of the, the, the trail, we descended into this valley and in the valley, there was a little town and we were starving. We'd been eating like beans every day, uh, just over the campfire. And in this little town, we find a tiny pizzeria, and on every table in the pizzeria, there were jars of honey with chili peppers for drizzling on the pizzas. So I tasted it. I've always loved spicy foods and always loved pizza. So the combination of the two things, I was like blown away. I had it and uh, I was like, man, this is, this is just a beautiful combination. A beautiful combination. So uh Fast forward a year later, I get back to the States. I had been in Brazil for a year. I was coming back to the States to finish up my senior year in college and uh, started experimenting with honey, chili pepper infusions in my college apartment. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I started making it for myself and I have bottles around the apartment and um, I called it Mike's Out Honey from the very beginning. That's just always what I called it. Right. Um, so that wasn't like a brand name that I, you know, conceived of with like a, like a deep thought session. And you're yeah, like, yeah, no, that's no. just like what it was called. You know, I don't know. I don't even remember how the name came up. It's just like, that's what I called it from the beginning. And then that's just what it was known as going forward. So that was like 2004 started making it in my college apartment. Um, the day of my college graduation, in May 2005, I got a call from a record label in New York or I'd applied for a job and they told me that, that I had gotten a job. So this was, this was May of 2005, got a job in record sales, making like $27,000 a year, right? selling CDs back when people were still, still buying CDs. So what's a CD? Yeah. <laughs> but you kids out there age. that don't know about CDs. I know it. I hear it. Look hear it up. It uh yeah so uh so i i graduated in may and moved to new york summer 2005 and um moved to queens and uh started working at this record label that was right on lafayette street about a, a block south of astor place in the east village and it's called Putumayo world music it was a, a record label that specialized in compilations of music from different countries so each album was like an introduction to the music from that particular country and um, started working there. Um, my 
territory was like southeastern United States. So I'd go down to like Atlanta and like North Carolina. Right. And just like try to sell CDs to stores. And oh, so you were traveling. Well, you were traveling even with this. Yeah. So you yeah, traveling yeah, yeah. your whole life pretty much with everything. What's up? You're doing. It's funny because a lot of the things that I, a lot of the like tactics from that first sales job I've, I've used with like in the honey business, it's not, it's not all that different. Right. I was in the alternative record sales division, which means like we, we weren't even targeting record stores. We were targeting random places like grocery stores that sold CDs or like random other like new agey type stores that sold CDs. Right. And Whole Foods was, was actually one of my biggest customers. Like I used to sell CDs to the whole body department in Whole Foods, which is where they sell all the like lotions and, and they have, they have clothes, clothes. yo. They have cool clothes they have, sometimes. Yeah. They cool got clothes scarves, in there. Cool shirts. Yeah. No way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I used to go down there. I'd, we called it store busting. So we'd go down and like, we'd, we'd have our, our list of places and we'd have all the, the demos and the CDs. We'd go around, drive around and um, just hit all these stores and pass out samples and try to try to sell CDs. So I caught like the very tail end of, of I guess you could call it the golden era of the music business when like people were still making money off of like actual record sales, not not like touring. Right. You know? And like then album sales mattered, you know, yeah. the most. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I was like 2005 and then like, then I, I did a year in record sales and then eventually I, I got, had the opportunity to move to the A&R department at the record label. So I, I was the A&R and production coordinator, which meant I worked on the production of all the albums. My job at the label was to receive all the demos that came in every day. We'd get in the mailroom, we'd get all these demos, and I'd sit there with my headphones on and just go through all of the demos and read all of the notes from people. And, um, you know, people from all over the world sending in their, their work. And it was my job to kind of like sift through everything and then pass on the best, the best of the best to the, the president of the A&R department. Oh, so you were the important guy during this. So you I were trying like big power because you decided who went on to whatever the next stage would be. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was young and I had no idea what I was doing, but at least like I was at least entrusted with like weeding out like the, the good, the good stuff, like making sure that like the best of the best made it, made it through. Um, and then we do these listening sessions where we'd have everybody from the record label get inside the boardroom and we, we play tracks and then have a vote and we tally up uh, the votes. And then um, it was like a democracy. That's like how we decided what tracks ended up on the album. No way. Damn. But, that's crazy. Yeah. I, so, I, I shared an office with the, the lawyer from the record label and he was the one who was cutting all the licensing deals. So I, I spent like, three and a half years, four, almost four years in that office with him, um, kind of learning about like music licensing. And um, yeah, so that, that carried on for a few years. Saw a lot of shows cause they was comp us tickets. So I got to go see like all sorts of crazy concerts. Um, so you were in the garden a lot. And I don't want to, uh, ju- I don't want to jump the gun, but now, Mike's Hot Honey spot is in there. 
And if you weren't there a lot, but still, that's like that would be like your second hometown spot to go. Yeah, I mean, the I'll concerts that, right? I was going to see were were not really in Madison Square Garden. They were much right, smaller right. clubs. But uh, yeah, like I, I at least like kind of just got got into the music scene in New York and met a lot of people and um, saw a lot of shows. And everybody in that business is just like hustling and networking. You know, that's kind of like the that's the only way to survive in the music business. So I think like that experience definitely helped a little bit once I, once I transitioned to food. Um, just it's, It seems like everything so far up to this point uh, from an outside perspective um, is like fine tuning you into what you do now. Right. So you were, you're traveling all over, you're doing quality control. You know what I mean? You're picking the best of the best things. And then what you just went on to say, it's 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 setting up for a perfect storm for what's going on with this honey product that's slowly growing in the background right it's funny because the record label i used to have bottles of mike's out honey you know before it was a branded product but we i used to have them in the in the break room at the label so like people on their lunch break would be using it on their lunch and everybody joke oh my god maybe maybe this will be a business someday like i never i never thought it was it really could be a business like we used to take the bottle to Popeye's on our lunch break and we'd be drizzling it at Popeye's, you know, like it, it, it was like a thing, like people in the office knew about it. Right. It was a thing before it was a thing. Right. Right. But it's even at this time. So like someone might ask you even during this time when people are like, Oh, you should do a business. Everyone's laughing about it. You weren't sitting in the back being like, wait a minute, this actually might be something. When did that happen? Um, okay. So 2008, uh, like, so hold up. Let me, let me just go back a little bit. 2006 took a trip to Mexico with a friend of mine. I was a friend of mine from high school who worked for the Boston globe. He worked in the travel department at the Boston globe. And he was like, yo, I think we have an opportunity here. We can pitch them on a, a travel blog. So we did a mock-up of a, a travel blog, like traveling, on a shoestring budget we did like a week-long trip to mexico and and blogged it and gave it to the travel editor at the globe she sat on it for like a year and then uh 2007 she got back to us and she was like hey you know that thing you pitched us like we want to run it so my friend was a multimedia guy at the globe and i had been working at this international record label and i kind of parlayed that into like like being able to cover international culture um so i quit my job at the label and he left the globe and we produced a we traveled around the world for a year um blogging about we basically just traveled the world on a shoestring budget for a year and we produced a travel blog for the boston globe and the whole time i was collecting i was still working for the label collecting music from all these countries and shipping back demos to the label office in New York. So I did that for a year and we came back uh, fall 2008 and the economy had like tanked. So when we got back, um, you know, I had left my job at the label. I didn't have work, started hustling, trying to um, get some jobs in the music business and got into music supervision and licensing. So I started doing music supervision and licensing for television and film, worked for an independent 
um, film production company on a couple of their projects, worked on a few different films where I licensed the music for the soundtrack. Um, and then I got into uh, ICM, which was a, a an agency that um, they were a booking agency for all different types of, of people. They, they represent um, authors, directors, uh, performing artists, comics. So I was an assistant to the agent. So anybody who's seen, um, anybody who's seen Entourage knows um, Lloyd. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Entourage. Not familiar. Okay. So like Lloyd, Lloyd is like the agent assistant that just gets shit on like by the agent. So that was me. I was like a agent assistant for this booking agent. And um, I was making all this pizza in my apartment at the time. And slice blog. I don't know if you ever caught slice blog. I'm familiar through Adam Cuban. Right. So that's all Adam, that, that's his, right? Yeah. Adam was the editor. Um, I think he started it independently and then eventually like it became part of serious eats. But at the time, like it was really the place on the internet to go for pizza knowledge. Like that's where the pizza community congregated. And, um, so I was on Slice Blog a lot. I they did this thing called My Pie Monday where you would submit your your homemade pizzas to Slice and they would post the best ones. I got right. a couple pies on there like way oh, no back way. in the day. Um but I kept on seeing this dude in the comments. He was like a serial commenter. Right. <laughs> Paulie G. <laughs> Shout out right? Paulie G. And I'm like, who is this guy commenting on every post? Like he was just in there. And I'm like, what's up with this dude? Because he just like every article, no matter what it was, he was in the comments. So I'm like, who is this Polly G guy? And then finally, one day they posted an article about him and he had built this oven in his backyard. It was like a wood fired Neapolitan style oven. And Adam had gone to his house in Jersey for like a taste test. And so he threw a little pizza party out there and Adam covered it for slice. And they did a little profile on Polly, and they said that he was going to be opening his own pizzeria. So a few months later, he opens Polly G's in Greenpoint. And I was living in Long Island city at the time, which is like right across the Pulaski bridge from Greenpoint. So it's close. And when he opened, he opened March of 2010. I went there, like, I think it was, a, he had been open for maybe like a month or two when I, when I first went there. And, uh, I was sitting there and he came by my table and anybody who's been to Polly G's knows that he pretty much visits every single table. Right. Like you, you can't, you can't eat there without him visiting your table. So he stopped by the table, started chit chatting, started asking him all these questions about his pizza, his dough recipe, the oven, this and that told him I was making a lot of pizza at home. He's like, why don't you become a pizza apprentice here? And I was like, maybe I'll do that. And I hated my, my day job. I really hated like right. it was, I was working in midtown Manhattan. I was getting paid like shit. The whole thing was like, if you're an agent assistant, the whole thing is like you work your ass off for five or six years. And then maybe just maybe you become an agent at that point, but you got to give up like a long, a long chunk of time, like just making, making no money sacrificing before you get that opportunity. And I just, it was like a miserable job for me. I just, it was negotiating contracts all day long. And um, 
So I was like, man, I was like, really didn't like the job. And um, I started going in to the pizzeria. My girlfriend at the time was like, if you don't take him up on his, his offer to like become an apprentice there, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I had flour all over the kitchen. Like I right. always pizza stones and all this like crazy shit. And like, just like, take your hobby out of the house, start going there, like start practicing there. So I started going after my day job, learning how to make pizza. And I would like practice stretching dough. Uh, I did like prep. I was salad boy. Like I, you know, slice of prosciutto. I did like all the random little things there until I was skilled enough to get put on a, a dinner shift. So I started like working the, um, working the pizzas at Poly G's and this is like summer of 2010. And so I go like going after my day job and start making pizzas there. And like, then, um, uh, after a few trips down there, I had mentioned to Polly, I had this pizza condiment. And it was like pizza condiment, pizza condiment. Like, what are you talking about? So then, like, I I I brought in a bottle of the honey for him to try, and he was like, you know what? Like, I don't like spicy foods, but this is actually pretty good. Can you make enough for the restaurant to use? So I started making it in the back of the restaurant, uh, like one gallon at a time. And um, I'd be working there at night. And anybody who's been to Poly G's knows, like, the pizza oven is open to the floor of the restaurant. Polly calls it the pizza theater. So it's like, it's like a show. And I usually be the guy stretching dough in the front. So I'd be like facing the people All eating the pizzas. Seating. Right. So I could like interact with people and I could see their reaction to trying the honey. And uh, I could tell that people really liked it. And that's when the gears really started to turn. Like I was like, wow, maybe I got something here. People come up to me and be like, yo, where can I buy this stuff? And I was like, you got cash? Right. <laughs> so, so just before we go on with, with this part, pause here. How did that go about? Was Polly telling customers or whatnot? Or was it was it noted that it was yours? Or, hey, it came from this guy? Because you know, I know him. He would probably be like, yo, uh, it's that guy right there. It's not mine. It's his. That kind no, of thing. He, he, he was like, so he was like, what do you want to call this stuff? And I was like, well, it's called Mike's Hot Honey. It's, it, at that point, it had been Mike's Hot Honey for six years, you right. know? And he was like, I don't know. He's like, cause some, some lady had come into the restaurant and complained that um, she didn't know it was going to be hot. She thought it was like temperature hot, not like spicy hot. Right. So Paulie was like, I don't know. You, I think you should change it to Mike's spicy honey. And I was like, come on, man. Like, that's not what it is. Like, it's just, it's already been this for six years. So I'm not going to change the name at that point. And Come on, Mike Spicy Honey, like, no, it doesn't get out of here. It doesn't roll off the tongue, dude. Mike's Hot Honey, MHH, dude. This is Mike's Spicy Honey. Get out of he here. Dude, he almost ruined that jacket. He could have potentially ruined the whole branding. The, the, oh. You know what? I need to get Paulie a Mike's Spicy Honey jacket. I'm going to give it to him. You should Thank with you. the honey crossed out and spicy <laughs> on the back and be like, this is what it could have looked like. Wow. Damn. So that's incredible. So, okay, yeah. so, so he wanted it spicy and you're like, no way it's Mike's hot honey. And that's it. Yeah. I was like, come on, man, we're not doing this. Like it's, this is already, it already is what it is. It's like too late to change it at this point, you know? So, uh, so it was Mike's hot honey. And then, so it was, he, he was, Paulie was all about like, one of the things he's always been about is promoting other businesses and like, all the time people not to cut you off all the time. I've noticed that like since I met you guys, you know what I mean? He's yeah. one of those. That's crazy. But go ahead. He, he wears a hat 
from a different pizzeria every night. He almost never wears his own hat, you know? Um, so he's like, he's in there uh, and he's like, hey, I'm going to add it to the menu. It's, it's, it's going to be in the menu description. So you could see it. The original name of the pie uh, that later became known as the Hellboy was called Fire Up the Del Boy. Okay. Yep. So when, when we would like put a pie in the oven, apologies, you'd say fire up the, you know, whatever the pie was. So, um, the Del Boy was a pie with sopressata, tomatoes, parm, fresh mutts, um, sopressata from Sala Maria Bellese, which is still there, uh, in midtown Manhattan, been there for over a hundred years. Um, yeah, he said, that, I call that pepperoni. I'm getting smacked. <laughs> but go ahead. Yes, yes. So prosada, well, pepperoni is one of the prohibited peas, so you you won't find pepperoni at least at the original polygene right, right. ever. So so prosada is basically just like a, a, a pepperoni is a more finely ground cut of of pork, and then like the the so prosada is gross grosser chunks of fat and meat, and um, so so prosada, tomatoes, parm, mutts. And um, that was the Del Boy. And it's called the Del Boy because it was named after Paulie's son, Derek, who worked at the restaurant. Derek was 18. He was the first guy to work the oven there. Um, and I used to make pizzas with Derek. And a friend of theirs who was from the UK told them that Del Boy was a nickname for Derek in the UK. So they started calling Derek Del Boy. And because the Soprasada pie was his favorite pie, they called it the Del Boy. No way. Okay. And then... When we added the honey to it, we named that pie the Fire Up the Del Boy. That's what it was called. And then one of the customers was like, hey, that's kind of a mouthful. Why don't you just change it to the Hellboy? And then that's how it became the Hellboy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now it's yeah. coming full circle. Everything that I order now is coming full circle. I'm getting a backstory yeah. behind us. Okay. Yeah. So now you have Del Boy. I hope I didn't bore you too much with that story. But then, No yeah, way. No one, dude, no one's getting bored by this story. And I'm getting more information that I was able to not able to google so now you have a pizza pretty much pizza you're making and then yep. putting your stuff on it this dream is starting to is it at this time i don't know if we made it clear was it the dream so you said you started to see it materialize so the music business thing was 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 dying and you were slowly shifting to the to to bringing up mike's hot honey to make it what it is today at Dude, around 20 that time 2010 was a bad time for the music business because this was like before Spotify had really like that's before streaming had really like taken off and before the business I figured out how to monetize streaming. So like and Tower Records had closed. Um, like all the record stores were closing. Virgin Megastore closed. And it was this like time where like there was just no money to be made anywhere in music outside of live like touring. So uh I saw a lot of people who are casualties of the business and I'm looking around like, man, like, I don't know about this career. Like this is, I've invested a lot of time in this and I don't know if like this is going to put food on the table. And at the same time, I just like loved making pizzas. Like for me, like stretching the dough, being in the restaurant was exciting and like just felt good. And like I, my rent at the time was super cheap because I, I shared an apartment with three other roommates and it was like, I could have, I could afford to like make very little money and still survive in New York. So right. I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just quit my, quit my day job and just work in the restaurant full time. And around that time, Paulie got the liquor license so he could start serving beer and wine. And he was like, you know how to tend bar? 
And I was like, I mean, I can open a bottle of wine. Right. <laughs> like there was no cocktails. I mean, he didn't have a hard alcohol license. So I was like, if it's pouring beer and wine, like how hard can it be? So I started um, tending bar there, which gave me a little bit more income. So I was tending bar and making pizzas there. And then I was making honey at night after the restaurant closed. And then like also was on, on Mondays, he was closed. So I could use the kitchen on Mondays. And I was starting to get my ducks in a like like basically like figure out how to start actually Production. selling it to the right. public. Because at that point people were like, where can I buy it? And I'd start, I'd sell like unmarked containers out of the back. I'd sell like little pint containers of it um, out of the, the, the back of the restaurant. And so I was like, shit, I got to start bottling it, selling it. So I asked Paul if I could sell it off the bar and he was like, yes. So then my friend who was a footwear designer at the time he was working in a restaurant as a server. He later became a, a, a footwear designer has designed shoes with Kevin Garnett and such, but he designed the, um, he designed the original packaging for the honey and you have an original um, package bo bottle on you. Do you have, a, do you have oh, one? Shit, near? That's okay. Um, we can talk about it later, but, but the original package is, man. how does it differ than what you can find in the store now? Because I like the original package one. Oh my God. Um, it's got an Argyle pattern on it. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have it. I got the original, I do have the original snapback right here, as a matter of fact. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That that's the original snapback with the B that was on the original uh, bottle. Yeah. That's why the MHH with the puff embroidery right there. Just so Damn. yeah. Quality only. Yes. Oh, that's quality only. Exactly. Man, look at this. Now you look like not to bring Polly back up during the Mike's Hot Honey podcast, but this looks like Polly yesterday. The Mike's Hot Honey shirt, the Mike's Hot Honey pad, the, the, the hat on, the Mike's Hot Honey mug. I was like, wow, drip, yeah. extra drip. Yep. 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 Oh, so, wow. um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like he, my friend, John, he, he, John Ozerico, he designed the original packaging. Um, we were living together at the time and we sat down. He, he's known me since I was five years old. We went to kindergarten together. So he, he knew what I was about and he like understood the vibe I was going for. And I told him, I was like, I want the packaging to like, I want the product to fit in at a pizza shop, like with the other products you might find at a pizza shop. So I want like a classic vibe. So um, we went with that, made the original stickers we used to print these like vinyl stickers and handwrite the batch number on them. I didn't even have seals under the caps. Really? Oh, no um, way. Okay. Nah, man. No, no product liability insurance, right. nothing. <laughs> right. Just right out the back or the counter of the pizza shop. Just say, yo. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, I put a screw top cap, which was like a black twist top cap that was similar to what you see on the top of a Sriracha bottle. And the reason I originally went with that cap was because I wanted people to, perceive the product as a multi-purpose condiment and like just treat it like something they could put on everything so um started selling bottles off the bar and i was tending bar making pizzas i'd go back and forth between the pizza oven and the and the bar and then one day adam from from serious eats came in adam kuban came in and he was like he's like hey you know that honey you've been making he's like i want to write about it on serious eats i was like Oh yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, UK, if I put that on the internet, I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like I, okay. So I okay think that was it? like, that was like, I think it was like, 
it was around Christmas time of 2010. So it was like right. So of- this is a fast track from from when you started at Pauly's till now. Around Christmas time at 2010, we're talking about the same year, pretty much, right? As a pizza apprentice, quote unquote. Yeah. So I had been at Pauly's for at that point for about six months when Adam like came in and was like, "Hey, I'm going to write this article." So then he wrote the article on series seats. That was the first piece of press I had. And like everything, like once it was on the internet, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I, I got a website together. So the, I think the article may have linked to the website and then like people could order online. All of a sudden I got a bunch of orders. I had to start making it and shipping it to people. I used to have one of those laundry carts that I would push down the sidewalk to right. the post office and dump oh, the to packages. ship out. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No way. Okay. No yeah, way. It was one of those, you know, those little fold up laundry carts. Right. Of course. I'd fill it up with like the boxes of honey, push it down the sidewalk and, um, to the post office and, uh, yeah, started started shipping bottles, but Adam was the first one to like really put it on the map. Adam and Polly. So, were you overwhelmed when that happened? When it hit on Serious Eats, and you're like, "Oh, damn! I actually really..." So, like you said, you're like, "Okay, I really need to start shipping this out and getting like production." Were you were you uh, overwhelmed? Was it those kind of numbers where you're like, "Damn, uh, yo, I got to start doing something now about this." I, I mean, it was it was exciting, but it wasn't overwhelming at that point. It it got a little bit bigger. Like the next year, the so that was like the first piece of press and like press generates more press. And also being in New York is like a powerful thing because you're at the, you're at the doorstep of all the press, like a, all, all the big media companies are there. The journalists are all there and they're like all eating at Polly G's and like Mike's Out Honey is their hometown product. So they wanted to like promote it, you know, right. it was like, it was something they felt like was theirs that they could share with the rest of the world. So like, I, I definitely benefited from that. And um, Liza DeGia, who had a show on NYC TV called Food Curated, she, she prof- she's like the matron saint of, of small food producers in the New York area. She profiles a lot of small food companies and chefs and stuff. And she had profiled Polly. And then she, she was like, hey, I want to do a profile on you and tell the story of the honey. So she did a little video about me and she actually came to my apartment and like filmed me making a batch in my apartment. And like, she put it on her website, but then also it got syndicated on the Huff Post and it went on public access television on channel 25 in New York. So that was big. When it was, when it hit the Huff Post, that was like, okay. Then like it really got out there. That was early 20. I think it was maybe like spring of 2011. Right, so we're still talking within a year. You were in Huffington yeah. Post and then uh, on the other network. Huff Post, wow. and then by the end of 2011, I was in Esquire Magazine. I was in the best best of 2011 issue in print in Esquire Magazine. Really? Wow. Okay, yeah. so I, I didn't know that either. That's incredible. Yeah. So the come, yeah. up, well, the come up was fast. If you look at the – this is why this podcast is, is important because the come up looks fast. 2010, start at Poly, six months in, you're getting written about – another six months in Huffington Post, another six months in now he's like worldwide publication pretty much, you know what I mean? At least for the United States. And, yeah. uh, but nobody knows about from Brazil to then. So that's why I was right. important. So that's what, so when you were like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm boring. You know, that's the important part. No one knows that this stuff was in production like that um, yeah. for that long. And then, yeah. so, so between that year, so between 2012 to the first time I had it, 
which was from Pete Tolman in Pittsburgh. He's like, yo, I need you to try something. We were out there visiting Alyssa's family at Ironborn in Small Man Galley, um, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, uh, their first location, which no longer exists because they opened two storefront brick and mortar places. <clears throat> He's like, just try this. I'm like, what is it? I don't like hot stuff at all. I don't like spicy stuff. I don't like hot things. And, uh, He's like, it's on the pizza you're about to eat. Just try it out. And uh, he pours out this big gallon jug. You know, it looks like windshield washer, like fluid sized gallon jug or however however size that was. And uh, I took a spoonful. I'm like, what is this? Right? I'm like, this is too hot. I love honey. But I was like, yo, it's burning my tongue. You know, it's a full spoonful. I'm like, it's burning. And I and at that time, it burnt my tongue because I was uncultured. I was just starting into my own food thing and traveling and getting all these new flavors and like readjusting my palate to my small town chain restaurant only, no creativity, all that, right? And uh, I'm like, yo, that's hot, but just keep it on the keep it on the the pizza because Alyssa was with me and she doesn't like hot stuff, but it had like half pepperoni on it or whatever. And I ate it on the pizza. I was like, wow, the pizza had arugula and all the cheese on it and the tomatoes, everything just flowed nicely. I was like, whoa, this, this stuff's good. I'm like, what is that stuff? He shows me, it's like Mike's hot honey. So what happened between that day and 2016 um, from 2012, now he's in Esquire. What happened in between that time period, the come up basically? That was the hardest time. That was the hardest time. I mean, I was in Esquire. I still didn't have seals under the caps. Like, I'm like, oh, Esquire doesn't care. Like, they don't care you got seals under the caps. Like, well, that was kind of the interesting thing to me. It was the eye-opening. I was like, wow, like, I'm, like, not official, but these people are still writing about me like I'm official, even though, like, I'm a one-man operation and I'm totally not official. Right, and this (laughs) is all by yourself still, right? Or 2012 still, the the production is by yourself. Yeah, I was a one-man operation from 2010 to 2015. Wow, okay. Straight up, like, just me for all production, everything, accounting, distribution, sales, everything was just me. So um, at the time I kind of was on this like thing where I was like, I, I just want to do something for myself where I don't have to count on other people that like I can like just rely on me, you know? And um, so started like trying to figure out how to scale up production. Cause, but once it was, once I got the press, then like other retailers came around, Bedford Cheese Shop, Murray's Cheese, some of the specialty retailers in New York came around and were like, Hey, we want to sell it. Um, those stores, as I learned, like were cool selling the stuff, even if it didn't have a seal underneath the cap, as it turns out, like legally, uh, at least at the time you didn't need to have a seal. It was up to the store, you know? So they were cool with it. Like, and I guess like money talks, like they're like, okay, we'll sell it. So like, it was just like I was making it in the back of the restaurant, capping it, labeling it, driving around New York, dropping off uh, cases at these places. I had a, I had a 1995 Geo Prism with uh, 200,000 miles on it, and I'd fill up the trunk with the cases of honey. It was like it was like a go kart. Right, like <laughs> little to four cylinder engine. You got like, can't go up any hills. No nah, man, and when the honey was in there, like the thing was like <laughs> a little wheelie. Dude, and anybody who drives around New York knows the shit is full of potholes. Right. <laughs> like, if there's one thing I hope New York City is doing right now during this crisis is fixing the fucking roads. This is a finally, this is an opportunity to do some road work. Everyone's off the, at all like, times. Dude, 24 hours, essential workers, get out there, do what you need to do. Yeah, I hear the same. We're doing a lot of road work here, by the way, but not to cut that off. Yeah. So anyways, like, I used to drive around New York 
like delivering cases to like this place, that place, like a couple of restaurants came on board. Um, just like uh, a few spots, a few other pizzerias, um, little specialty stores, cheese shops, butcher shops, that sort of thing. And then um, started to get a little more press, got different things coming through. Um, but I had a problem with production and I had this issue where like, I couldn't create a homogeneous solution where like I would produce the product, but then the chili peppers would float to the top of the bottle and I couldn't figure out how to, um, it, it created a situation where I had to produce everything to order. So like I couldn't produce product in advance and build up a stock to distribute. I had to like get an order and, uh, produce it and distribute it and get it out to the shelf. So I had this issue with the formula for a long time. It took me like three and a half years of testing to figure out how to solve that issue. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of how I, I solved it because that is, that's part of the trade. You secret, can't give but, away your secret. Right. Exactly. But it did take me three and a half years and I traveled up and down the East coast visiting food scientists. I went to several food science departments um, at different universities, worked with a bunch of people to come up with a solution that did not involve adding anything to the products, no additives, no, no, um, no gums, no nothing. Like I figured out a process change that allowed me to create the same product without um, having that issue. So like um, that, was the key to everything really like like once i unlocked that and i no longer had to produce stuff to order at that point i could scale up production and find a co-packer to work with to help me really ramp up production and i was like going around looking at all these like co-packers um sauce manufacturers and I quickly discovered that like places that do hot sauce or barbecue sauce, like don't have the right equipment to handle honey. Um, and so I, I learned that I needed a honey specific co-packer. So I started going around to honey packers and honey distributors and all of them were like, you're crazy if you think we're going to run that product on our line, because if we clean the line, but there's a residual chili pepper that gets into a pure run of honey, then we're fucked. Like right. we just like destroyed a bunch of products. So couldn't find anybody to work with me. I was like, well, this sucks. Like that, like just the doors just everywhere. blew open, right? The doors just blew open. You found the formula after three and a half years. And now you can't find someone to ramp up this stuff. No, nobody would work with me. Right. Like, and I wasn't doing enough numbers at that time. That it was worth the risk for these people. So they're all like, why would we risk contaminating our line? So I'm like, no, but we have big opportunity here. And they're like, show me the numbers. And I'd show them the numbers I was doing. And they'd be like, that's it. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to run this on our line. So then like, finally, after like this, like long journey, I was introduced to a guy who's a honey producer from upstate New York, from Jefferson County, New York, who had a bottling line in Jersey across the city. And he was uh, producing wildflower honey in New York and upstate New York. And the person that introduced me to him was like, you know, um, you know, he's, you should talk to him. Like he might, he might just give you a shot. Like you never know. So like I, I, I talked to him and he was like, first time I talked to him and this is, um, it's like 2014. He was like, 
he's like, listen, like you're going to come see my facility and it's in, it's in a building about the size of a garage. He's like, you're going to see it and you're going to think we can't do, we can't do volume out of this thing, but trust me, like we can do volume. So I was like, okay. So I came out and like, I was just happy to find somebody who gave me the time of day. Right. You know? And he was like, listen, man, he's like, if you pay me, he's like, I'll work with you to figure this out. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, I had saved up a little bit of money. I wasn't really paying myself. I mean, this is like for anybody thinking about starting a business, like don't quit your day job. I was like living off of my pizza, pizza money that I was making, like, you know, I was paying rent off of the, the money I was making tending bar and making pizzas and any money I made selling honey, I just put back into the business. So I had saved a little money and I was like, all right, like, can you work with me to try to figure out how to do this on a larger scale? And he, he took the time to like actually sit down with me and we basically MacGyvered a production line. That was like the first industrial scale production line. So um, that was late 2014. And I was like the key, man. Once we unlocked, uh, once we unlocked large scale production, then we could start packing pallets of the product. We could start working with distributors. Um, we could fulfill larger orders. We could build up an inventory. We could do some real planning instead of just basically like being reactionary to everything. Right, and that's crazy. So you got. So to summarize that, like from my own understanding, you got the biggest help out of like the smallest possible, not a guy, not saying he's small. I'm saying like, like small tucked away in Jefferson County. You know what I mean? This is the guy who helps Mike's hot honey start to explode even more. Yeah. His bottling line is in Ford's New Jersey. And yeah, it was like the size of a garage. And I was like, like this is it are you serious like when i I saw for the first time but he was like trust me we could do a lot of volume here and he was right like they they never they never like never missed an order like they were they were able to crank product out of a small space so they um they really helped me scale up and then um but the next big thing for me was was finding a business partner and at that point i was like I got to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't do this on my own anymore. I was going crazy. I I was in the New York times holiday gift guide. I personally packed and shipped every single order that came of that. Really? And I was on the homepage of the New York times for almost a month. Oh, so you were, you held that spot. That's crazy. They had a link to it on the homepage of the New York times. So it was your New York times for, for, sorry to cut you off your New York times. Um, did that end up being bigger than Esquire? It's because you were a New York oh, guy? Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Oh, that was the biggest thing I'd had at that point. That was because it was on the homepage. I mean, the New York Times homepage is one of probably the most like busiest pages on the internet. And it was right around the holidays. It was like basically from like Thanksgiving to Christmas. They just had the gift guide on the, on the homepage. And I don't know how many thousands of bottles I packed and shipped, but like I was cut, man. You should have seen me back then. I was like... I did so much physical labor at that point. I was like a broken person by the end of it, but like I was in probably the best shape of my life. Cause I, I was that. Just, like my hands, my hands, my hands got soft. My hands got soft back then. My hands was like sandpaper. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now they're soft. That's what happens when, when the, when the money starts coming in, right. They get a little softer. You get, yeah, sun, you get to wear sunglasses during a podcast. They get, <laughs> yeah. hands got no, soft. yo, that's incredible. So, 
so it's almost like 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 sweatshop work going on by yourself hardcore you're in a holiday gift guide for the new york times and this is what year what year that was 2013 about? so 2013 that was the end of 2013 yeah so now that was and then 2014 i scaled up production and then 2015 i found a business partner and that was like the next big thing and who was your business partner so my business partner matt beaton he and i went to school freshman year of college we were in the same um dorm together and then we lost touch and um he grew up in wisconsin and he was living in chicago with his wife and uh he knew i was from massachusetts and he we hadn't spoken in like 15 years, but he was always one of these people I really, really loved. And it was like, man, I, you know, I, it's too bad we lost touch, but you know, we just kind of like fallen out of touch. And um, so his, his wife, uh, Aaron, uh, got accepted to a PhD program at UMass Boston. And he hit me up because they were moving to Boston. He didn't know that many people in, in Massachusetts and he knew I was from there. And I think he thought that I was living in, in Massachusetts still. So he hit me up and I was like, no, nah, I'm in New York, but um, like you should come down and like, wait, you know, we can hang on the weekend. So they came to New York. This was like 2015. And I took him to Pauly G's and he was like, so what are you doing now? You like, you got a honey business or something? I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the honey business. I'm in the hunting business, bro. And he was like, what? I was like, just come to Poly G. So we had dinner at Poly G's and like I showed him the product and he saw the restaurant and everything I had going on. And he was like, wow, this is crazy. He's like, you're doing this on your own. I was like, yep. He's like, you're looking for a business partner. I was like, yep. And he had been working at Wrigley. He and his wife had both worked as brand managers at Wrigley in Chicago. Right. And uh, he had also gone to business school at Northwestern. So he had a lot of the business uh, experience and skills that I lacked and was desperately in need of. And um, so, yeah, um, Meats, um, that's what I call Matt, Meats. He's always, to me, he's Meats. I still call him Meats. He's Meats because um, I think it was the summer between like senior year of high school and freshman year of college, he worked as a door-to-door meat salesman. Oh, no way, okay, that's stuff. Yeah, he drove a steak truck like around, he'd you know, knock on your door. Right, like, of course. You know, selling steaks. So. We always call them meats. So I still call them meats. I can't, to me, it's weird to call them Matt. No, you're not calling them Matt. No way. Then when something, no. something like that sticks with someone forever. It gets weird. It gets weird. Like when we're in like, like serious business meetings and I refer to him as meats, but like, that's just who he is to me. Like uh, that's, that's how I've always known him. So, so yeah, meats came on board 2015 and he really helped me, um, organize all of my finances, develop a, a sound business plan. Because like my business plan at that point was like, try to make enough honey to like survive. And right. like, you know, like it was not sophisticated in any way. You know, and I was just like, like, I think I was good on the relationship side, but like the back end business planning was not my strength. And so we, we sort of complimented each other in like our skill sets. And I was very lucky to, to be able to bring him on board um and basically got comfortable with the idea that like i was going to give up a piece of the piece of the pie and um and that the pie itself was going to get bigger my piece of the pie was going to get smaller but the whole pie was going to get bigger so so once i got comfortable with that we started started scaling the business got our first distributor um 
But when he came on board, I had already started working with Whole Foods. I'd been working with Whole Foods for a very short period of time. That was, you know, pre-Amazon takeover Whole Foods, you could work with a single Whole Foods store. Right. Yeah. An individual store. Correct. Yes. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thir- Whole Foods started in third in Gowanus in Brooklyn. That was my first supermarket. Then I started going around. I'd show up at the supermarket. Who's the honey buyer? Track down the honey buyer in the store. Hey, I got this product. I'm already in one of your stores. Will you put me on the shelf in this store? I'll do demos. So like I did demos in all the stores. So I did it myself. Like personally, I got into almost all the New York City stores by myself, just doing demos. Right. The dirty work. So it's important to, it's important to, uh, I guess, tell that to people like anyone, anyone young trying to start, start their own thing. You got to put in the foot, the, the footwork put the miles in no one wants to go around and do samples they just want to be on the on the on the shelves of whole foods am i no you got to do the dirty work you got to get the sandpaper hands yeah (laughs) you got to get the sandpaper hands to have the smooth hands later that's 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 a a good analogy later you get the smooth hands so like yeah and the other thing about this is like all those places like the first places i worked with like all right let's tell you a quick quick anecdote because this is related to what you just said like the dirty work is what builds all the relationships and those relationships like usually last. And they, they, if you, if you, if you, if you nurture them, then like they can turn into really powerful things. So like, for example, Murray's cheese was a single location cheese shop, oldest cheese shop in New York city. They're one of my first customers used to hand deliver cases to them. Used to do all the demos in there. Um, did that for years and then one day Murray's gets bought by Kroger and Kroger starts rolling out satellite Murray's cheese shops, all of their stores, not all their stores, but a lot of their stores, hundreds of their stores around the country. And because of the relationship with Murray's, they slotted me into all these Kroger stores. That was like, that was my first big rollout at retail. Like they, they took us into like 400 Murray's cheese shops and all, all of these Kroger's around the country that all came from that one, like a one genuine relationship yeah wow okay so that with unintended plans of like knowing that murray's cheese was good and it was going to blow up and this and that it was just something uh wholeheartedly uh just a genuine relationship and then it blew up like that wow yeah that's a lesson man that's for sure like that those those relationships are still important to this day places like sweet chick was you know one of the the first chicken spots to to use the product um, they were a single location in Brooklyn. Now they're, what are they? Uh, like three, two. Yeah. They've got like five locations now, LA, Lower East Side, Crown Heights, Williamsburg. They got one in London. Nas came on as one of the owners. Like they, they, they grew and I, we grew with them, you know? Right. So, so during all this, that is pretty much okay so now the like i said before the doors are busted wide open now you're all over the place you're all over the united states you have production you have a partner all your finances all your planning everything is all set up what is your relationship as we're talking about genuine relationships you're all over you're traveling everywhere you're visiting the people who are using mike's hot honey all the time um 
how do you how do you manage any of that because that part also seems stressful so take us take us through like your public your pr with you literally going to every spot that carries mike's hot honey and 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 keeping that relationship alive so they can see the man behind the bottle yeah so once we got into like 2017 the business started to hit a point where i had enough support that it freed me up to to go out and really like be spending time visiting the restaurants and the retailers that, that are using the product. And um, so I started hitting the road, basically just like visiting all these places. And we realized that like, you know, the product is born at Pauly G's. Pauly was the best ambassador we've ever had. He's, he's the reason that all this happened really like, and restaurants are, are the reason that people know the brand. And so we, we decided like, we're like, like food service is a big part of who we are. It's part of our, our identity as a brand. We're going to kind of follow the, the playbook that, you know, like beer companies have, have, have built and basically use food service as a way to build brand awareness. It's like, there's lots of ways you can build brand awareness. You can run all sorts of marketing campaigns, but like if you build a genuine relationship with the restaurant and a chef and the people in that restaurant and they support you, that's real. You know, that's not like some paid campaign that's going to go away. That's like a real, you build a real friendship with a restaurant. Those people become your family and they'll support you. So like once, once you kind of, once that became like really crystal clear, then I started really like hitting the road, just going out, um, going to visit the people that, that were using the product. And a lot of, if you look at our social media, like most of our social media is, is featuring the restaurants that use the product. So it's a way for us to support them, to show what they're doing, to showcase how all these incredible chefs and pizza people are using the product. Um, and then they in turn support us. So it, it you know, it, it, it it goes both ways but it's like sustainable whereas if we were to just like pour money into like ads that's not there's no soul like, from my perspective because it also affects the customer's customer so i go to a restaurant and they're like yo you got to try this they like you so much you know so like yo you have to try this um just trust me it's from this guy brooklyn here's his story um let me know what you think and then you kind of feel like their relationship that they have with you and then it's passed to me or us or whoever's eating the food or, or now you're in drinks now, all different kinds of things, whoever's eating, whatever Mike's hot honey is on. And, and now you're kind of forming like a subconscious, I'm kind of forming a relationship with you without you even knowing me. I'm like, wow, I like this stuff. Let me see this guy's story. I like this. I like that. Um, so it comes full circle that way too. But so what were, what were we just saying? So I'm got off track. No, it's um, just like the, those, those, those types of relationships are, are, are important. And the, like, like that, that way of building the brand is really powerful. Like if you go into a restaurant and you experience it on a, on a, you know, at a restaurant that you love and the chef that you respect is using our product and you taste it, like, and you have that wow moment with the product, like that's something you remember. That's powerful stuff. If you, just seeing an ad somewhere like it's not the same so we're like let's just let's just pour like 
our efforts into building the brand through food service instead of going the traditional route of just like throwing up ads, you know, which right, wasn't, I mean, it wasn't sustainable anyways. We, we didn't really have a choice to be perfectly honest. Like, like a food service relationship that also brings in revenue, which is more sustainable, you know? Right. And like you said, it just gives you, like I was trying to wrap it around before I got sidetracked by the dog coming downstairs who's staring at me now. Um, it gives it a soul. So the brand has a soul, has an identity, this yeah. guy with this story, instead of like you said, just tossing it out there, tossing it up there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, that's it. Wow. That's, a, that's crazy. So now we're at present day. You're all over. You're visiting these people. You're the guy that people are looking up to now who came from just this idea to worldwide written publications, this and that. What advice do you, you already touched on some things you could, you could, you can reiterate them or just move on to, to other things you didn't mention. But what are you telling the young person who the young entrepreneur, the young person who wants to start a business or the person who's stuck on an idea or the person who, who might be at their pizza shop trying to open up a pizza, not just related to like your hot, like hot honey, but anything, anything in the food restaurant, any industry you've been in music, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to give Polly a lot of credit is like, me being able to witness him open his restaurant at age 57 he was a computer it guy with zero restaurant experience and he opened this pizzeria and to be able to witness him have all that success and see that he was happy every day he likes to tell people he hasn't worked a day since he opened the restaurant it doesn't feel like work to him and like once i saw that i was like i was like wow you know like i had it in my head it's too late for me i committed all this time to a career in the music business is too late to change change gears start something new and then i saw paulie and i was like this dude at age 57 did it. it's definitely not too late for me and one thing paulie taught me and he he's he said this in many interviews you can go back and read it but there's the one thing he said that really stuck with me is there's power and commitment and when you commit to doing something when you sign that lease and shit gets real the people that love you that are part of your community are going to come and support you like when they see that you're committed, then they're going to support. So like this power, this idea that there's power and commitment, I think is really true. And I, I that's my experience too. Like as, as soon as I like took the plunge and I was like, all right, like I'm actually doing this. I'm going to try to make this a business. My friends, my family, my neighbors, my community, they all supported, you know? And so like, I think the, the key is to just like do it, you know, to like, I know it sounds dumb, but it's like, just, just push aside any doubt, go for it. Instead of trying to like fine tune your business plan and tweak and tweak and tweak until you think you have the perfect thing, just try something, learn, adjust, iterate and learn by doing, you know, and don't quit your day job right away. Right. But like, but, but just like, try doing something and, and, and learn from the feedback that you get and listen to people, listen to what they're telling you and just try to like learn by doing instead of just like, like writing a business plan and like sitting around for months and months and months trying to like hone it till it's perfect. Like you're never going to get it perfect. And once you start it, you might learn that you were wrong. All of your assumptions were, were wrong to begin with. So you can learn a lot faster, I think, by just doing and iterating and adjusting. And, um, yeah, power and commitment, right. Power and commitment. So power and commitment 
um, pretty much when you threw everything aside, just to wrap up what you said again, things start happening when you commit to something. That's basically, in other words, what you said. And then you're just learning on the go, 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 go. And that's all you have to do as cliche as you said, it sounded just start. That's true. I mean, there's, there's countless examples of this. Like, look at, okay, look at, look at Danny at Angelo's pizza in Philly. Like Danny committed to, to his restaurant. He was like, I'm not going to worry about what my margins are. I'm just going to try to make great food and take care of my customers and the community supports like they they came out and they supported him you know and you build it, you build it they'll come it's kind of something like that you know what i mean the people who are going to be there for you like you said what paulie said or like how how you said in general they're going to be behind you and then you get that full power commitment and that's it so speaking so you did so so since you just brought up danny yeah this isn't about danny i'm going to drift off the course really quick top three favorite pizzas right now Oh shit. This is on the spot. So go ahead. And I know I don't want to pitch it. Right. So anyone, if anyone is listening yeah. to this who happens to be a business owner, uh, don't be offended. Please don't DM me and say, why'd you ask him that? Don't give him shit because you heard it from me. I just want to know at the moment, it's nothing personal. What a top three pizzeria is right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like in, in New York, um, I think Lindustry is probably my favorite right now. Um, part of the reason they're able to do such great pizza is that they're a tiny shop and it's you know massimo the owner is the guy making the pizzas most of the time whenever you have a situation like that where it's basically like one guy with his hands on the dough um and that level of attention to detail you're gonna get a great product and uh you know that that's like a hybrid between like it's like an italian man's take on a new york slice shop so it's like it's like a slice shop, but lots of post oven ingredients, higher hydration dough, baked at a higher temperature in an electric deck oven, um, uses great ingredients like Pecoraro Burrata, that, that Pecoraro Burrata made in Williamsburg down the road from where the shop is. Um, like he, he's, for me, like uh, to me, that's the best pizza in New York City. Like that, that's my favorite pizza in New York City, I would say. Um, you know, for, uh, you asked me for three. Um, all right, I'm going I'm to go out to California. There's a place in Berkeley called Amelius that I'm very fond of. Okay, also, it's also a one-man operation. And Massimo is not a one-man operation, but Amelia, Massimo is a tiny shop. But Amelius is literally a one-man operation. Um, Keith from Amelius, the owner, is... Um, He's been in business for over 10 years now, never had a prep cook, never had an assistant, never had anybody helping. He's literally one person. Um, his style of pizza is, is kind of like Massimo's. It's, it's like a higher hydration dough than your typical like New York style pizza. Um, he has a gas deck oven, but he tweaked it somehow so that it bakes at a higher temperature. Um, and so the pies are cooking faster at a higher temperature um but i think he's doing like 18 to 20 inch pies you basically have to you have to sign up on his website the day you want to go there you sign up for a callback that afternoon he calls you back and gives you a time slot for either dine in or takeout um he knows how many pies he can make per hour so he'll be like all right your pie's gonna be ready at 8 43 p.m 
and you're yeah. there at 8:43 p.m. and the pizza comes out and like it's crazy but that to me that's the best pizza on the west coast um that i've had i i just love his his pizza um it is not easy to get because you got to do a little planning but if you are in the bay area amelia's is is the truth also um, this is in san fran i think i saw you put it up on your story last time you were out there most yeah, it's in the East probably. Bay in Ber- Berkeley. Yeah, oh, okay. just across the bay from San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I've been there the last two years. Um, last time I was there was, uh, I think, uh, in January I was there. Um, yeah. Uh, Keith's, Keith's Place Amelia's is, is a special, special place. I, I love his pizza. Um, and then uh, number three, you know, it's gotta be, I'm gonna do four. I'm gonna do four because I can't help it. It's gotta be Scars and Pauly G's. And um, Scars for me, like, if you're looking at just like classic New York style pizza, um, both Sicilian and thin crust, like he's, he's doing some of the best New York style pizza anywhere. His attention to detail and the way he, he focuses on sourcing quality ingredients is um you know it's really unparalleled when it comes to slice shops i don't think anybody is is putting as much into the details of the slices as he is Um, especially at a volume like that too highest quality with with crazy volume you know how the line goes yeah i mean it's it's high i mean it's still a tiny slice shop so it's not like i mean it's all relative when you talk about volume but yeah he's he's busy he's gotten he's gotten a lot busier is it been able to keep it up? Um, but yeah, I mean, just from his flour to the cheese that he uses to his tomatoes, like he's using really high quality ingredients. And he also just is somebody who put in the work and like worked at so many other places before he opened his own place. You know, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that about him, but worked at Lombardi's first pizzeria in America, uh, worked at Artichoke. Worked at Joe's, which is, you know, by a lot of people, for a lot of people considered one of the most iconic slice shops in, in the country. Um, worked at a few other places. He just, he, he had put in a lot of, of work before he opened his place. So he really kind of knew it. He just knew what he was doing when he, when he, when he opened that shop. And then Paulie G's, I mean, it's like, the Hellboy, when I go back and have that pie, when you get a fresh Hellboy out of the oven with the Soprasada from Salamaria Bellese, like, and you get the leopard spotting, like, it's just, and the, like, little edges of the Soprasada get crispy, like, I just There's nothing it. like it. Then you, then you hop out the front door and go walk by the water. You walk it all off. Yeah. Yeah. You, take, great spot. you go to Transmitter Park, taking the view. Um, But I got to say, man, all these places, like, uh some of them are open some of them aren't uh everybody's kind of like dealing with varying degrees of 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 ability to 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 run their business right now like these people are like i feel like these people are the the reason i'm in business and like i i owe a lot to those those people and and those are the people that i you know that i'm gonna be working to support right now so I don't know when this podcast is going up, but I encourage you all to support your, your local pizzerias because we want them to be around when this is over.
I like that message. So obviously you already know my people are going to be doing that as well. Um, two more questions for you to wrap this up. Yo, uh, what's your favorite thing for you to put your honey on? Ooh. Okay. Um, I love it in cocktails and like, I'm more of a cock. Like I, I would prefer cocktail to a beer in most cases. Not really a big beer guy, but I do like a nice cocktail. Um, a lot of people don't realize that it, it works well in cocktails, but you can mix it into a lot of different things. Um, I'd like it in a Paloma, which is just like tequila or mezcal, grapefruit juice, honey. Um, well, shake it all up, top it off with a little soda water, garnish with lime. You get that smooth burn on the back of your throat as you're sipping. Um, you can drink it in an old fashioned. We have a lot of recipes on our site, actually. If you search the hashtag Mike's on Honey Cocktails on Instagram, you pull up a lot of different cocktail recipes with cocktails. And then um, I just like it with a an extra sharp cheddar or like a blue cheese or a gorgonzola. That's like where it really gets dangerous you know, on the cheeses. Oh, my God. With the really funky it. cheese. Yeah, agree. So good. Um, we used to do this thing. We call it pizza sushi. When I worked at Poly G's, Poly, if you're listening, cover your ears. But like we'd be on the line making pizzas. You take like a you take like a basil leaf, put in like some prosciutto in there, or a slice of soppressata. Put in a little clump of fresh mozzarella. You drizzle the honey in there, roll it all up, and just pop it in your mouth. Um, Pizza sushi. I mean, <laughs> if there weren't house pies to eat, that's what we were eating. It's not like you're gonna go hungry like making pizzas. So right, like, I hear that. I don't, I don't want to say how many of those pizza sushis <laughs> I popped, but like, there's a little piece here, a little piece there. I don't want to get you in there, too much you know? trouble. The last question. Um, what's on the horizon or what's next for, for Mike's hot honey? What can we okay. look forward to? All right. So like right over here, we got the, um, we got the Mike's hot honey dip cups. Oh. So that's, yeah, that's new. That's new. Um, obviously restaurants have to adjust everybody has to adjust to the the new reality we find ourselves living in now um so we're adjusting we're trying to like create some pack sizes that are catered towards delivery takeout so the dip cups you'll see those um hitting a lot of restaurants for delivery and takeout we got the packets um the packets you've seen but those will also be um around a lot more because i think you just see a lot more delivery and, and takeout um we got a few other things that are that are in production but um you can't give away i, I can't i can't divulge what they are yet but you'll find out soon enough i don't know when this is gonna hit but like you'll find out so, to, so i don't want to leave everyone in suspense with something so so I don't know. I kind of feel offended by that, but here we go. All right. So I was going to wrap it up on that, but I just got a brain blast. Um, obviously everyone knows Mike's out honey, but for people who don't know where, the, where can they reach you? Um, where's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, social medias, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. So on Instagram at Mike's hot honey, all social media at Mike's hot honey. Um, Follow us, tag us in your creations, DM us. I'm on the I'm on the account, so I'll probably see your DM if you hit me up. Um, also, shout to all the business owners that are running their own social media because I do think that's a real thing. Like, 
like you can I know it's not possible for everybody and not everybody likes to do that but that is that's a cool way to connect with people so I actually enjoy that um, but yeah at Mike's Hot Honey on social media mikeshothoney.com um, you can find us in the honey aisle of your local supermarket you can find us on the shelf at your specialty cheese shop I know you're in the Philly area so I got a shout out to Bruno Brothers because my grandparents shopped there way back in the day. That's where they, we get it, the Bruno Brothers. They were my first retailer in Philadelphia. It's one of the best specialty stores in the country. Um, but yeah, uh, the Honey Isle of any like local grocery store. Um, and then you can also find it on Amazon uh, if, if that's where you shop. So yeah. Perfect. Yo, I appreciate you. Uh... Uh, reaching out to do this um you were like yo let's do a podcast i was like oh hell yeah of course we're gonna do this yo i appreciate that um and uh i'll be on the look i'm using like saw honey all the time but i'll be on the lookout for for the for the things you couldn't talk about i'm excited about that all right you'll see him you'll see him soon enough you'll be getting the samples all right i'm looking forward to it looking forward to seeing you next too when this is over where we can go eat some uh some meatball sandwiches at lindustry Absolutely. That or I'll see you in Philly at, at Angelo's and we'll be, we'll be chowing on cheesesteaks and pizzas. I hear that, yo. All right. I'll be in touch with you. Appreciate you, man. You already know episode two, Mike's Hot Honey. Bye, everyone. Uh, all right. Thanks, pancakes. Peace.